When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, Secret Squad. I have a new episode of I've Got a Secret for You that I've been looking forward to all week. Molly Burke is an influencer, YouTuber, and motivational speaker, but she's not your average influencer. At four years old, Molly was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa, a genetic disorder that causes gradual loss of vision. At 14, she lost most of her sight and suffered through bullying on top of dealing with this life-altering disorder. Today, Molly recognizes the power of her voice and uses her platform to educate and lift others up while making people laugh along the way. Her story is one of perseverance, perspective, and inspiration. This is The Secret to Mastering an Influential Life. Welcome, Molly. Wow, thank you for such a nice, kind introduction. I'm so excited to be here. Well, you're so welcome. It is such a pleasure. I'm so happy that you're here with us today. I really, truly meant it when I said I have looked so forward to this all week. Oh, me too. I'm really excited to chat. I've heard your voice so much on TV over so many years. I can't believe I'm really talking to you. Well, thank you. You know what? I so enjoy following you on your many platforms. And you're such a ray of sunshine in my day every time I get to listen to you and, and follow along with your life. So thank you so much for all of the, as I said, inspiration and all of the fun that you bring to your platform. Thanks. I, uh, yeah, I certainly share it all. <laughs> There's a lot to consume. There's a lot to learn. I, I feel like, unfortunately, the way people like myself who live with a disability have been portrayed historically just hasn't felt authentic. And I just wanted to find a way to, you know, I can't speak for the community, but to at least share my story and my perspective. And, and so I'm really grateful to get to do so and that people like you are able to watch and people who can help spread my message. Oh. That's so wonderful. I would love it if you could start by explaining your condition and when you started noticing symptoms. I know you were very young, four years old, if you even do remember noticing the symptoms, but could you explain your condition to the listeners? Yeah, so I was uh, six months old when my grandfather was holding me and he noticed, I, I kind of explained it like I was like a human bobblehead. My head was just always kind of bouncing around. Um, and if it would ever be still, my eyes were shaking. And so he told my parents who were like busy parents, wrangling my older brother, toddler and a newborn baby. And he was like, you have to take her to a specialist. Something's not right. And so they ended up taking me to a neurologist. Um, and after many tests, I was diagnosed with spasmatic newtons, which my family was told only one in a million babies are born with. So I like to think I truly am one in a million. <laughs> um, and that kind of spiraled and started this whole journey um, of, of multiple rare diagnoses. That's what made it so complicated. I have multiple rare diseases that aren't generally seen together. Um, so it took many, many years. Um, I was eventually transferred to ophthalmology uh, to start looking into my eyes. And I was diagnosed with strabismus which was surgically corrected, uh, which is more commonly known as a lazy eye. Uh, I was diagnosed with nystagmus, which is what causes my eyes to shake, and eventually diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa, which, as you mentioned, is a progressive eye disease. So it causes you to slowly go blind over time. Now, the thing with retinitis pigmentosa is it's kind of like a generic term. It's like the, the word flower. There's so many different types of flowers. So when you just call something a flower, you don't really know what it is. That's like saying retinitis pigmentosa. And at the time, they didn't know what kind of flower I was or what gene type I was. And so they couldn't really tell my family what my future held because some people with RP can drive a car till they're 60. Some people with RP are born totally blind and everything in between. And so they were just told most likely she'll go blind, most likely when she's middle-aged. And that's all we can tell you. And uh, unfortunately, I have a very rare type of RP called TULIP1, 
which causes severe early onset blindness. So I went blind much quicker and much younger than they thought. I was legally blind from birth, but you know, I could see colors, I could read print. I was a competitive soccer player on a sighted team. Like I was, I, I consider myself to have been sighted, but you know, to the, to the rest of everybody else, I, w- I was still illegally blind. And then over the next decade, you've gone through worsening symptoms. Is that correct? Yeah, so it was uh, on and off progressive vision loss. So I would stable out for a couple years or months at a time, and then I would have another uh, chunk of vision go. So the majority of the vision went at 14 uh, over the course of about six to eight months of my grade eight year in school. Um, I went from being able to see colors to not being able to see colors, being able to read large print to not being able to read print at all and being a full braille and voice user. So I, I had a, a really big transition at that point. And like you mentioned in the intro, I really struggled with severe bullying. I w- was dealing with situational depression, suicidal ideation. I was in a really, really dark place. No pun intended. <laughs> um, and, and since then, uh, I'm 27 now. And since then, I've continued to have kind of some vision loss. I, I actually recently lost a bit more. But for me now, I, I don't have much left. I just have a bit of light and shadow perception. Um, and so a few months back, I, I noticed that my my light perception dimmed. I almost say it's like somebody turned down the dimmer switch. So um, it just everything got a bit darker oh. recently. Oh, it must be so difficult losing your vision after knowing what the world looks like. Do you look on your early childhood fondly? I do. I think what's difficult is a lot of people think, um, oh, well, you're lucky you could see because you know what pink looks like and you you know what trees look like. And um, what a lot of people don't realize is for, for many people who go blind, we don't retain visual memories. So I actually don't recall what anything looks like. I, I can't you can't say the color red and I can just pull up an image in my head. You can't say a Christmas tree and I can pull up an image in my head. It's it's not like that. So it's frustrating sometimes because it's like, I know what these things are. And I know that I used to know what they looked like, but I don't anymore. And so you kind of have to mourn the loss of not only the life that you had, but like the visual memories. Of course, I still have vivid memories. They just don't have visual components to them. Wow. Do you tend to ask friends and family members to remind you of what maybe some of your favorite things in life? Do you tend to ask them to remind you what they look like? I ask all the time what things look like. I really love to know what the world around me looks like. Um, I don't know why it means so much to me, but it, it does. So I always, whenever I go to a restaurant, whoever I'm with, I get them to describe what the restaurant looks like. And um, it again, it doesn't pull up any visual memories for me, but it's just for me comforting to know what my surroundings look like. So when the, when you do ask, for example, the restaurant and they describe, oh, we're in a, a beautiful country themed restaurant with checkered tablecloths and they go into detail, you can't imagine then that scene. Yeah, I can't like pull up visuals. So it's uh-huh. not like I could hear a checkered tablecloth and I can like just pull up a memory where I saw one uh-huh. in my mind. Um, but it still is meaningful to me. Like I still really enjoy knowing uh-huh. what my surroundings are. That's wonderful. So I, I can just imagine it was so scary to start losing one of your really precious senses like sight. So do you still have a hard time handling that, knowing that at such a young age you started losing that sense? You know, it's funny. I, I look at 14-year-olds now and I go, they are so young. They are such babies. Like I, I really, I look at at girls that were my age and I'm like, I don't know how I did it. I, I really don't. And I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. It was so unbelievably painful um, that I, I sometimes look back and I think I really don't know how I made it out. And I'm so grateful I did, but I, I really, it was indescribably difficult. Wow. So thank you for answering that question. And after I asked it, I thought, if I ask you anything that's offensive or upsets you, please, I apologize and you don't have to answer it, okay? 
Oh no, I'm, you know, I'm somebody who I'm so comfortable talking about these things. And I think it's so important to talk about mental health. It's so important to talk about bullying. It's so important to talk about disability in authentic, real human ways, because that's how we build connection. It's how we build understanding. Um, so, you know, working on the internet, I hear it all. Uh-huh. I get all the keyboard warriors behind the yeah. screen saying, well, so don't worry. I'm, I'm really comfortable. Okay. Well, I really, thank you. And, but I really mean that because I really would never, ever, want to say anything offensive at all. I'm humbled by you and I'm so impressed and you're such a warrior. And oh, I just got so angry because I mean, going through what you were going through is traumatic enough. And then to think that there are human beings out there that would bully you for your condition. I'm so sorry for that. Yeah, I think it it shocks a lot of people, but so many people living with disabilities go through it. And I think the reality is that bullies, they they seek out the vulnerable, right? They seek out whoever is, is perceived to be different or weaker or more vulnerable. And being disabled, I was that easy, obvious target. There was, there was something that was very easy to pick on me for. And, you know, grade eight, everybody's going through such change at that time. You know, we're going through puberty, these hormonal changes, you're starting to figure out your sexuality, maybe you're starting to date, you're starting to develop your own sense of style, it's not your mom buying your clothes for you anymore, you're starting to pick things out for yourself, and and you're getting ready to go off to high school, um, and so I think everybody's kind of going through what they perceive as like really big dramatic changes in life, and so I think it was really difficult for my classmates to understand what I was going through, that I was going through something so much bigger than them, so much bigger um, than than what everybody else was having to deal with. Um, and unfortunately, I just kind of became that easy target and that easy outlet. Oh, I'm so sorry. How did you cope? What type of support did you get from your family and your friends? You know, it's interesting. When I think back to what I went through, I often think, was it the vision loss that caused me to become suicidal or was it the bullying? And I really do think that a large part of it was the bullying. I think if I had had the support at school that I desperately craved, um, my depression wouldn't have gone to such a dark place. And so for me, I, I went from being you know pretty popular. I'm really outgoing. I'm definitely an expert, really bubbly. And I went from being pretty popular, having a really great group of friends to having pretty much no friends at school and being really badly tormented, um, both online and in person. And it was kind of the beginning of social media. So virtual bullying was pretty new. Um, And all I had was my parents, you know, I just had my family. And thankfully, I had a wonderful psychologist to help me through it. But going to school every day was was a miserable experience. And and unfortunately, the school I was going to at the time also was not very supportive. So it really was just kind of like my family and, and my medical team that got me through. I am so sorry. I'm just devastated that you would go to a school every day and have to go through that and they didn't help you. It's- yeah, it got to the point where eventually, you know, the, about the final month or six weeks of school, my parents just pulled me out and they told the school, like, she'll do her work from home. She will finish from home and she's leaving next year. And um, we just realized it was getting to a really, really dark place. And they really just were consistently showing that they were not going to step up and help. And so thankfully, my parents just took it into their own hands, made their own decision, absolutely the right decision. Um, And I was able to kind of finish the end of my grade eight year from home. Wow. This is such a strong message that you're giving to everyone out there listening, that they cannot be bystanders. They cannot stand there and watch someone being bullied, that someone must do something, and especially at school. There are teachers and other students that must step up and help someone when they're being bullied. Absolutely. My family is really the only reason I am where I am today. My my mom and dad are like my best friends. And for a long time in life, like it it was, you know, they were my they were my rock and they still are in so many ways. Um, they just bend over backwards to always support me in, in following my dreams. But I think an unfortunate thing that I I faced in grade eight 
was just a lot of people not believing me. Um, of course, my medical team believed me because they could see my retina deteriorating and my family believed me. Um, but at school, not only did my classmates not believe me, but a lot of the teachers didn't believe me. Um, and so because they believed I was faking blind, they even called my parents, uh, a guidance counselor called my parents to tell them that she thought I was faking it. And my psychologist had to get on the phone with her and say, I have the medical records. Like, I don't know where you get off saying that she's faking this. And it, it's, it's, you know, it's been a common theme throughout my life, even working on the internet for the last seven years. I don't present the way society has been taught that blindness is. And so um, it's something I've continued to face, but if anything, that experience in, in grade eight and the experience of, of getting that backlash on the internet, it just keeps me passionate. It keeps my fire fueled to keep educating, to keep breaking myths and misconceptions and changing these stereotypes that have existed that are so harmful to myself and so many others in our community. God bless you. I just congratulate you for having the strength and the passion that you have to continue to educate. Thank you. Thank you. On my on my journey to recovery, you know, it is a journey um, to rebuild your life, to rebuild your mental health. Um, my physical health took a, a hit as well, so I really had to rebuild my whole my whole life, and it took years. And along that journey, I kind of had this realization that I was just really angry at society. I was really bitter. I was really resentful. I was throwing constant pity parties for myself, asking why me. And I realized that I, I can't just sit back and be passive. I can't just sit back and be angry at society's ignorance. If I am not willing to get up and do something about it, if I'm not willing to get out there and help change that, help give them education, because the reality is, you know, when I was growing up, kids weren't taught about disabilities in school. There was no picture books that we were given to talk about it. There was no conversations. It was kind of like, oh, don't look at Sammy who's in a wheelchair. Oh, don't talk to, to Adam with no left arm. Like it was like, just ignore it. Don't look, don't stare, don't talk. We'll pretend it doesn't exist. And that's the worst thing you can do. The best thing we can do is have conversation about it. And that's what I realized you know, this was obviously meant to be my path in life. This was meant to be my journey was was to be a part of of hopefully a small part of creating that change, creating the conversations that we've needed to have for decades. Wow. Have you ever reconnected with any of those classmates that bullied you? Oh, yeah, it's it's spanned. It's spanned the gamut from every everything from from never hearing from them. Some of them have just never reached out. Some of them have reached out to um, apologize and congratulate me on what I'm doing now. Some of them have simply reached out showing support. I've had classmates reach out telling me that they didn't they didn't realize how bad it was and they wish they had, you know, reached out. Um, so I've had definitely all sorts of different reactions. Oh, well, I'm glad to hear that some have reached out to apologize and to yeah, say that they're sorry. Kind of the queen bee is the one who's kind of pretended nothing ever happened, <laughs> of course. Um, that's often how things go. But um, a lot of the kind of uh, followers, I would say, uh -huh. have reached out. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. What about the teachers and the, the guidance counselor and such that tried to actually say that you were faking it. Have you ever heard from them? You know, it's funny. Um, my mom is not this kind of person at all. My mom is live and let live, let things go, move forward, don't hold on to things. But one of the things that was so challenging when I went blind at 14 is that we didn't have my diagnosis of tulip one yet, which was my gene type. Um, and so losing your vision so young and quick to RP is extremely rare. And so I think that's part of what led people to say I was faking it. Um, and so when I was 16, we finally got my gene diagnosis of tulip one. And, you know, it, it told, um, the doctors that this is exactly what would have been expected with that gene type. And so when we got that email ping in our inbox after, I mean, they had been sending my blood around the world from the time I was four. So it took 12 years to get the tulip one diagnosis. Many people with RP never get a gene diagnosis. It's really difficult. And so we got that email two years after I lost the, mo the majority of my vision. And my mom uh, just reached out to the guidance counselor from two years prior and was like, just so you know, we're so happy to share that Molly's gene diagnosis has come in. This is what it is. And what has 
happened to her is exactly what happens to patients in, with this gene type. And, um, you know, we're just thrilled to have gotten this answer oh. and left it at that. And she replied and she was just like, you know, I think Molly's a really strong leader and she's going to do great things in life. So oh, I love your mother. I love your yeah. mother. <laughs> just kill him with kindness. Yes. You know? Yes. But educate at the same time. Let her know. Exactly. I'm, I'm so happy she did that. I would have done the same thing. And thank, I'm glad that she responded and paid yeah. you a well-deserved compliment. Uh, now, I, of course, wanted to set the stage to inform the listeners of your history, but this is a story about triumph and inspiration. I want to focus on how you have used this situation to fuel your life's mission. When did you decide to start a YouTube channel? It's a great question. Well, I when I lost all my friends at 14, I had a lot of free time. You know, I used to be, like I said, pretty popular. So I was always going to sleepovers and going shopping with my girlfriends on the weekends. And all of a sudden I didn't have any of that. And so I found the internet, I found YouTube and I found it as a viewer. And at first it was just kind of like music videos and covers and cat videos. But then I started finding, you know, the real heart of YouTube, the communities and I found the beauty and lifestyle girls. And there was all these girls that were like the same age as me, 13, 14, 15, that were talking about dating and makeup and fashion and home decor and all of these things that I've always loved. And it felt like I had friends again. And I felt like it was, it was so incredible that these girls on the internet had no idea I existed. I was just another subscriber, another viewer, another comment. But to me, they were my big sisters. They were my best friends. They were my outlet and, and my way of reconnecting with the world again. And so I really went through the rest of my teen years um, with just this, this thought in the back of my mind about how much I would love to do that one day. I would love to do that for other people one day because I saw so much of myself on the internet, all of these facets of who I am, these things I love, but I didn't see a huge piece of who I am, which was disability. I didn't see that being represented on YouTube. And so I kind of stored it away in the back of my mind. And when I was 18, I, I got this amazing opportunity to start touring the world full time as a motivational speaker. And so instead of going to college or university, I moved out on my own and I began touring full time. And I was doing, you know, hour long keynotes up to 10 times a week. Uh, I remember, I think in a 10 day span, I was on 14 airplanes once and I was just like, this is enough. After um, two years, I ended up having a really, really bad workplace accident. I walked off a stage full speed, blind girl moment. And I injured myself physically, but worse than that, I injured myself mentally. I, I developed PTSD. And so I ended up having to quit what I felt was my dream job. And, um, you know, it was my dream job because I was, I grew up dreaming of being an actress. I took 10 years of stage performance and acting classes growing up. And that was my dream. But when I went blind, I didn't think I could actually achieve that goal. Acting is hard enough industry to break into as an able-bodied person, let alone a disabled woman. And so for me, public speaking was this way of, of building a hybrid of my work as, uh, you know, being able to perform as feeling like I was kind of acting, performing on a stage to a live audience, but also combining it to my passion of educating and breaking stereotypes and helping people overcome their challenges. And so I, I really thought this was the dream. And, um, and I had to quit. And as I quit, my guide dog passed away very suddenly. And it was just a really challenging time. I moved back in with my parents. And once again, I found myself at this crossroads of needing to rebuild my life or find this, this next chapter. And I thought, I'm going to start a YouTube channel because right now I, I'm too sick to be performing on stages. Um, but I can still find a way to share my message and to perform for a camera. Oh. And um, so with the little bit of money I had, I went and I bought a camera and I would have my mom come in and focus the camera and hit record. Then she'd leave and I'd film these videos. And um, that's how it all started. I truly am sitting here with my mouth open, <laughs> loving everything you're saying. I love that you always find an answer 
for what you have to have in your life. You persevere. And I love that. Congratulations. Thank you. You know, perseverance really is the only option. And all the time I get comments that are like, if I went through what you went through, I couldn't have done it. I would have just ended my life. I couldn't do it. And I think that we as humans have an unbelievable strength that we don't even know is there until we are forced to find it. And when you are given a situation and it is your only option, you just do it. You know, I didn't have an option to get my site back. Um, I had had an amazing career. I wasn't going to give up what I knew was my potential just because I'd hit a roadblock. I was going to just persevere and find my inner strength and find a new path in life. And that's what life is. We're going to continue to face roadblocks. We're going to continue to face challenges. Unfortunately, when I was younger, I liked to believe that I'd faced my midlife crisis early <laughs> and I just gotten it done at 14. But I've realized since then in facing many more roadblocks, they will continue for the rest of my life and they will for everybody else. And it's just about letting go, giving it up to the universal energy, to God, whatever you believe in and saying it's going to be okay. I am going to find a new way. Wow. Thank you for saying that. All of that. And I don't want to just breeze right by the fact that you told all of us that you walked right off of a stage at full speed. I'm so sorry that happened. Yes, that was uh, an epic blind girl moment. Definitely. I've had many blind girl accidents through my life. That was one of the best ones. I I was at one of my speeches and I was doing my sound check. And during my sound check, I would always you know, walk the room, walk the stage, figure out how much space I had to work with so that when I was performing, you know, I could effortlessly walk across the stage and look like anybody else. And um, yeah, my assistant had her back turned. And of course, because it was the sound check, there was very few people in the room. So nobody was really paying attention. They're all tinkering with their wires. And off the stage, I went um, full speed, about five feet onto concrete. Um, I landed on my side. And, uh, I ended up the doctor say it was kind of like my, my body's way of not smashing my head because if I just went with gravity, I would have smashed my head. And so I wrenched my neck to the other side and I tore the weight of that, that on my muscles kind of tore all the small muscles and ligaments off the, off the bone. So physically I, I had that injury, but like I said, to be honest, to me, the, the worst part was, was the mental end of thing, PTSD, because that was my whole job. And now all of a sudden, something that frankly never caused me any kind of fear. I've never had stage fright. I grew up loving acting. So all of a sudden, this thing that came really easy to me and actually was something I genuinely loved and fueled me became this thing that I would stand on stage and I would feel like I was physically falling or I would feel like I couldn't take a step or I would fall down some imaginary hole that didn't exist. Um, and I would just kind of freeze. And um, I couldn't string together sentences if I was trying to write speeches. It was just this this total block. And I knew that I had to step away from this dream and work on myself and find a new way. Um, and now, thankfully, I'm fully recovered. I'm back to public speaking, have been for years. But it's interesting because if that hadn't happened, I, I wouldn't have left I wouldn't have started my YouTube channel. And if I did leave, I would have just continued speaking and I couldn't speak. So I needed to find a new way to do what I love. I needed to find a new way to share my story and to connect with people. Um, And that allowed me to rebuild to the point where I could start public speaking again. And now I get two creative outlets and I get two ways to share my story and connect with people in one way live that's so meaningful to have a, a real audience in front of you that you can share with and in another way that's so meaningful where this story lives on forever there's videos of me from seven years ago when I started the channel you know there's and and this is really a beautiful way of connecting with people around the world who will never get the chance to maybe see me live you know there's countries I may never get to go to there's audiences or people who may need to hear my story, but will never get the chance to. And now because of the internet, they still can. Wow. Again, I'm so impressed. I just adore you. you. Perseverance just keeps coming to mind. I'm so impressed. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. 
It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street, essential television. I wanted to stop right now and do something that we do in every podcast. We do two things. One is a drink of the day. So I think right now I just I really want to do the drink of the day and do it in in your honor. We create a drink for the guest. And so today I saw that your favorite drink is a gin and tonic. Is that right? It is. (laughs) Correct. That's my favorite. Well, in honor of you, I'm doing a special gin and tonic today. I'm calling it the dressed up (laughs) G&T. And I really, really wish we were together in person so I could give this to you. But uh, if everyone out there listening will go to I've Got a Secret with Robin McGraw.com, you will get to see the drink that I've created in Molly's honor. This fancy gin and tonic is perfect for summer. It's one to two fresh rosemary sprigs, a few fresh basil leaves, three fresh thyme sprigs, and one ounce of lemon juice, two ounces of gin four to six ounces of chilled tonic water. You add the herbs and lemon juice to a cocktail shaker and lightly muddle. Pour the contents of the cocktail shaker into a wine glass or goblet. Add the gin, tonic water, and ice. Gently stir to combine and enjoy. So cheers to you. Oh, that sounds delicious. I too wish we were on a nice patio somewhere drinking that. I do too. I have to tell you, it is beautiful outside. So I agree. I wish we were together. Okay. So I would love to talk about how you have consulted Fortune 500 companies on how to create inclusion and diversity in their businesses. Yeah, it's something I'm really, really passionate about. Um, And over the years, I've been lucky enough to work with a number of companies and just giving my feedback from from my perspective and and helping them either build uh, marketing tools, build branding, uh, you know, build consumer products that are, you know, more accessible to those of us who are blind. Wow. It must feel great to see the tangible change from your advocacy. It does. I think it's hard sometimes when I don't see the change. You know, I I offer my services to, you know, any brand that really wants them. And it's great to have so many brands come and and want them, but it's sometimes can feel disheartening when when they don't follow through. Um, But I know change is happening. I see it every day. I see every day. Brands are are caring more and more, are thinking about us, are seeing that we are a huge consumer base. There's 1.3 billion people living in the world with disabilities. We are spending money. We are consumers. And when you build products for us or that include us, when you market including us in your ads um, with representation, uh, we will spend our money to with you. You know, that's where we will put our money. And so you're missing out on a huge market by by not including us in your advertising, by not hiring inclusively internally, uh, and by not thinking about accessibility when you're designing your physical products. I love that you are talking about this. Now, your social media videos aren't just about education. You are so much fun. I love them, especially I love your beauty videos. Thank you. I, like I said, I got into YouTube because of the beauty girls. You know, I've, I've been, I've been somebody who totally straddled girly girl and tomboy my whole life. I love camping and canoeing and getting in the dirt and the mud, but I also love putting on frilly dresses and high heels and lipstick. And so my whole life, I I grew up loving shopping, loving clothes and makeup. And um, so that's how I really found YouTube. And for years, that was like the only side of YouTube I was on was beauty videos. And I wanted to create a space where I could share every facet of who I am. And I, I think that's the other part I really enjoyed about starting my YouTube channel is because, of course, when I speak, people get an hour of me and and they're usually hiring me to talk about diversity and inclusion, mental health, bullying, disability, um, courage, leadership, all of these really important things. Nobody's ever hiring me to talk about makeup, but I want to talk about makeup sometimes and share that part of me and and share that I'm I'm more than the bullied girl who went blind, you know? I'm I'm just a 27-year-old girl who enjoys the same things as anybody else and I, and I think that side of disability is such an important conversation because often 
disability is represented just purely through the disability. Um, a lot of storylines and movies and TV shows, when it includes a disabled person, the role centers around their disability and it takes the human out of us. Um, and so I think sometimes we can just be seen as disabled, not as a human with a disability. And so I like to show people all the really like average girl human aspects of who I am, like my love of bath bombs and tea and high heels and yoga and all of the other aspects that make me Molly, not just my blindness. Oh, yes. And I love makeup. I love fashion. I love decor. I love everything. So I just thoroughly enjoy being a part of your life through your platform. So thank you so much. And like, I'm looking at you now, I'm looking at your surroundings. I love the color and your background right now. I love the color of your dress that you're wearing, your hairstyle, your makeup, everything. You live what you love. And I can tell that. Absolutely. I think um, it's, it's a great way to get people interested in a topic they might not be interested in because somebody might find me just through a, a makeup video or a fashion review and have no idea that I'm blind, have no interest in blindness, but because they now see themselves in me in some way that we maybe like the same things or talk the same or whatever it might be, um, they might then be interested in clicking on the other videos and in learning about something they might have showed no interest previously. And so it, to me, my videos about educating about blindness and my videos talking about just regular day-to-day -day things are just just as important as one another in, in achieving my goal of normalizing disability and bridging the gap in society um, and in changing perceptions of what it means to be disabled. Yes, that's so true. And, you know, when you were, just as you were saying that, I thought, what a loss for those classmates in the eighth grade. What a loss for them that they didn't instead reach out and take your hand and say, can we be friends? Instead, they chose to turn away or bully you. What a loss for them if they had taken your hands and said, can we be friends? And you would have enriched their life in so many ways. It was truly their loss. Well, you know, it's it's certainly made me the person I am today. I, I think I've faced many trials and tribulations and uh, it's, it's given me the ability to thrive, to persevere, um, to find strength. And I really feel grateful in a way because it gave me this sense of direction and purpose that's really hard to find. And I got to find that sense of purpose and direction um, at a really young age. And I have friends that are, that are 27 and they're still trying to figure it out. And, you know, I felt this drive to do what I do since I was like 15. And, and I feel really grateful that, that I was kind of handed that. Wow. Bravo. Well, like I said, we are both beauty girls, Wally. I am also in love with makeup and playing around with my look and just everything fashion. What are your favorite products to use? Oof, great question. <laughs> um, some of my favorites are the Saint-Tropez Gradual Tanning Lotion. I don't like getting real sun on my skin. I try my best and I'm super fair. So um, I love that. I love the Bite Beauty Agave Lip Mask. That's like one of my holy grail products. Have to have it in my rotation. Um, I love the La Vanilla Vanilla Grapefruit and Fresh Vanilla Lemon perfumes. That's If anybody wants to know what I smell like, that's what I smell like. Um, I love Too Faced. I love Ooh, I love Too Faced too. Yeah, Too Faced is so fun. I love talking to companies about universal design because I think what a lot of people think when they think about accommodating disability is accessible design, which is I'm going to make this thing specifically to be accessible to this small group of people. So is it worth me spending money? Well, if you look at it like that, like maybe not, but if you think about universal design, which is designing a product to be the most user-friendly for every consumer, disabled or not, well, that's a lot easier to convince you to, to spend money on, on redesigning. Um, and so universal design is when you just make something user-friendly for everybody. So an example of accessible design would be putting Braille on a package. Only 10% of the blind community reads Braille, and the blind community in general is pretty small when, when you think of the grand scheme of disability. So it's pretty hard to convince you to put Braille on your packaging because it helps a very small group of people. 
Uh, I'm very appreciative to the brands who do. It's incredible. Um, but I understand why more brands don't. The thing that you can reframe to think about is making it universal. So putting a tactile symbol. So now that tactile symbol that represents what that product is, isn't just useful to those who are blind. It's useful to anybody who's neurodivergent, anybody who may not speak English or read English. Um, it's helpful for anybody who doesn't have their glasses on in the shower, but doesn't read Braille because they're still considered to be sighted. Um, so it's it's much easier. And I, I think of Too Faced as a brand who unintentionally does a lot of things that would feed into universal design. For example, they have this line of uh, lip glosses and every lip gloss smells different. So the pink one smells like watermelon. So for me, as a blind person, when I open that and I smell it, I immediately know it's watermelon. That wasn't something they did for blind people, but it's incredibly helpful to blind people. And so I really love their products. They're definitely a brand who unintentionally yeah. is more accessible than they think they are. Wow. I love, hear I love hearing that. I just think that's great. Are there some other brands that you feel are really excelling at this? Um, Victoria Land Beauty is an indie vegan skincare brand that is really leading the way in universal design of uh, beauty product packaging. And uh, they actually work to license their code to any brand that wants it um, so that they can become accessible because the idea of universal design is having it be the same on everything, right? So on a keyboard, you always have those same two dots on the same keys. On a telephone, it's always the dot on the five. That's universal design. Um, no matter what brand made the phone, the dot is on the five. So the idea with universal design with beauty products is that every brand, no matter what brand, has a crescent moon shape on the night cream. And that represents that it's your night cream. And so she licensed, she created a whole system um, called the Cyrus system. And she licenses it to any beauty brands, skincare brands, uh, to be able to use those same tactile symbols on their products. So she's really incredible. She's just a, a mom to a blind boy who decided to get out there and do this. And, you know, I look at a brand who has, it's an indie brand, small budget, and she's making it happen. And it really, it reminds me that big brands don't have an excuse. If somebody, who's just a mom with a blind little boy can get out there and create this whole system. She can get the product created um, and she can be doing this on her own. Every brand can be doing this. Um, and another, a big brand, the only big brand that I can say is in my opinion, doing a great job is Herbal Essence. If you look at Herbal Essence shampoo and conditioner bottles, um, they have tactile stripes on the bottom of the shampoo and they have tactile circles on the bottom of the conditioner. And so again, it's it's not braille, it's not accessible for blind people, it's universally accessible for everybody, including blind people. And uh, so again, the idea with, with this is Herbal Essence is hoping that shampoo and conditioner brands take on this exact same system and add stripes to their shampoo and circles to their conditioners. That's wonderful. So uh, changing topics right now, just going to something else, what is dating like for you? You know, I, I think of it as like, I have the same challenges that any woman dating in the 21st century has. And I have the unique disability challenges. So it's kind of like I've got the double whammy. Yeah. But I always like to try to look on the positive end of things, which is I do feel like being a disabled woman is kind of like a jerk filter. <laughs> like mean guys just aren't going to give me a chance. So I don't even have to waste my time. Yes. Like my girlfriends have to go on two to three bad dates with a guy to figure out he's a mean guy. Uh -huh. I don't even have to waste my time on him because he's not even going to look at me and give me a chance. So usually, you know, the guys that are willing to give me the first date chance have at least like passed some kind of line, some kind of level. Um, I do have a boyfriend right now who's also blind. Um, I've previously only dated able-bodied people and so had he. So this was our first experience dating somebody else who's uh -huh. disabled. Um, and we've been together for 14 months now. Oh, congratulations. I love Thank that. You. I love that. So please tell us about what's next for you, because I just want to support everything you do. I truly do. So tell us what's next. Well, I have two big projects. I look at the next six months of my life and I'm like, oh, 
Wow, it's going to be busy, but very exciting stuff. Um, I bought my first home, which I'm really oh, proud of. Congratulations. And I'm doing a full gut renovation. So top to bottom, ripping the place apart to show people, uh, doing a whole series on my YouTube channel to show people how to design an accessible home that's both accessible to me as a blind person, but also aesthetically beautiful. And that you don't have to give up, you know, an aesthetic look to have accessibility. Because uh, I think a lot of times in design, we think it's one or the other, and it can be both. So I'm really excited to be doing this series to show people how it's done. Uh, and then the other big thing is my guide dog is retiring. So in September, I'm getting my third guide dog, and I'm going to be taking people through that entire training process as well on social media to show uh, the whole journey of matching a service dog to a handler, training them together, bringing them home. Um, and what's exciting about that is I've also been doing a fundraiser. A lot of people don't realize that the government gives no financial support to guide dogs. Um, and guide dogs cost between forty dollars and $60,000 per dog. And um, these schools rely, these schools that train these dogs for us blind folks for free, rely solely on public donations. And like everybody in this past year of the pandemic, they've been hard hit. And so I decided to mobilize my community to fundraise as much money as I can to hopefully at least cover the cost of my own dog. So that frees up the ability for the school to give another dog to another deserving blind person because these dogs are truly life changing. And I'm so grateful that the school, the Mira Foundation, is giving me my third dog. Um, and so we're at, uh, I believe, about $33,000 right now. So I'm really hoping we can hit 40 and beyond to at least cover the cost of one dog and I'm doing that over on GoFundMe. Oh, wow. Well, let me just say I'm going to be donating to that as soon as we stop this podcast. So it will happen oh, today. And I encourage all of my listeners to please do the same. I actually cannot wait. And I'm going to be glued to both of your <laughs> new projects coming up. I cannot wait to watch you do your new home and your other project. I can't wait. I'm going to be glued to them. Well, I'm very excited. I, I'm really eager to meet my new friend. It's going to guide me through the next, you know, seven or so years of my life. It's, oh. I'm on pins and needles, like waiting to meet my new baby because I, I have bet. no idea who it is. And I can't wait to introduce the new dog to everyone else as well. Oh, that's so exciting. So do you like playing games? Oh, yeah. I'm big on games. Oh, good. Because I said we do two things in every podcast. And the other thing that we do is play a game of the day. So, Molly, your followers are called the Killer Bees. Is that correct? They are. Yes. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I already told the ladies that work with me here at the podcast that you're the queen bee, for sure. Oh, <laughs> in, thank you. In honor of you and your amazing supporters, we're playing a game called the B word, B-E-E, -E, the B word. I'm going to give you a category, and you'll have to name as many words that start with the letter B that you can think of. We'll do two 30-second rounds, and I'm going to play two, okay? Oh, goodness. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, so you'll go first on this one, round one. Okay, Molly, you have 30 seconds to name as many foods that start with B that you can think of, okay? Go. Okay. Banana, broccoli, bread, baked goods. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm, why can't I think of any? The uh, uh, broccoli. I said that one. Brussels sprouts. Good. Um, uh, berries. Good. Um, oh no! What else? I'm not a good cook. I'm not a oh. not one for the kitchen. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think too. Time's up. Oh, man. Oh, how I'm many, sure I'm going to think of tons now. How many did she name? Oh, you named six. That's good. Okay, so my turn. And the prompter for me is male names that start with B. Okay, male names that start with B. Bob, Bill, Bruce, uh, Benny, uh, Bobby, did I say Bob? Uh, uh, oh my gosh, I'm totally blanking. It's harder than you think, it is, isn't it? It is. Uh, 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 B. Uh, Benjamin. Bennett. Bennett. Uh, Barry. Barry. <laughs> uh, 
Keep going. Uh, oh, 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 time's oh up. Um, time's up. How many did I get? Oh, I got eight, but you gave me half of them. Oh, that was so fun. Okay. Now, round two. Okay, so, oh, I it says here, I have to go first this time. And I have school or office items that start with B. Okay. Uh, book. Um, uh, a Bible. <laughs> um Oh my gosh, a box. Um, 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 oh my gosh. A binder. Binder. Um, uh, uh, I can't believe this. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, <laughs> office or school item that starts with a B. Uh, book bag. Okay. All right, time is up. How many did I get? I got five. <laughs> It really is a hard game. People <laughs> listening are probably like, what are they doing? It's a really hard game. Oh. Okay, so Molly, you're next now. Okay, and you're going to think of celebrities with B names. Go. Oh, goodness. Uh, Brad Pitt. Yes. Beyonce. Uh... Beyonce. <laughs> Beyonce. Yes. Beyonce. How could I have forgotten? Um, ben Affleck. Yes. Uh, uh, Billy Eilish. Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis, yes. Yeah. Billy Eilish. Billy Eilish. Yes. Um, uh, Bradley Cooper. Yes. Let's see. Uh, time's out. <laughs> that was fun. Like Lively. Oh, yes. I love her. Man. Blake Lively. Blake I love Lively. her. I love her too. Blake. Lively. Sliding in it at the end. <laughs> yes. Okay, how many did she get? Six. We did pretty good. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> that was so fun. I love playing games. Sadly, that's the end of today's episode. Thank you so, so much for taking time to chat with me today, Molly. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This is really fun. This I'm going to definitely have to go make that gin drink. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I will maybe have mine after we hang up. Well, please tell the listeners where to find out all about you online. Yeah, you can find me on pretty much every platform. Facebook, uh, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube are all Molly Burke official. So at Molly Burke official, youtube.com slash Molly Burke official. And over on Twitter, it's my only different handle. It's Molly B official because Molly Burke official wouldn't fit. So I try to keep it consistent and easy to find me. And I also have a private page, patreon.com slash Molly Burke. Oh, that's wonderful. That's so great. And head over to I've Got a Secret with RobinMcGraw.com for more extras on this episode. And only the Secret Squad has access to. I'll see you all next week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.